books to viewers. You know this is my 74th show, but it's actually going to be my 74th and 75th because very occasionally I have an author join me and the conversation flows and overflows. And so um, my guest today is Laura Young, who has written a book called Boston Ballerina. And not only did I enjoy the book, but um, so many questions came to me out of reading the book, not only because Laura started out before there was a Boston Ballet, but has also continued to teach. And, and I think just from our brief meeting is such an intelligent and witty person that I figured 30 minutes isn't going to do it. So welcome to part one of Book Stew featuring Laura Young, author of Boston Ballerina, and uh, one of the founding members of Boston Ballet. Welcome, Laura. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for having me on. So I moved to Boston in 1973, and as far as I knew, there was always a Boston Ballet, and it was a big and well-respected company. Um, I, don't, I was so shocked to see that that was not the case. So why don't you start us off from the beginning of your, your involvement in dance? Well, I started when I was six years old because I was an, an, an unusually active child. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, my mother on a rainy day said, oh, well, how about I teach you a ballet lesson? How did okay. your mother know about ballet? Well, she uh, had studied for many years and went to New York when she was 18 uh, to study further and perhaps get a job because there were no jobs for dancers in Boston at the time. Uh, she studied with George Balanchine. He said to her, my dear, you stay with me for a year and I'll put you in the company I'm forming. But my grandmother wouldn't let her stay alone at 18 in New York City and she couldn't move with her. Oh, and there was nobody there were no, uh, in those days, I guess you didn't like just say, oh, I'll get a roommate. And uh, no, no, especially in uh, circa, let's see, it would, would have been around 1936 or seven, something like that. Um, dancers were um, not generally regarded as um, respectable. Or, or, or artists, for that matter, probably. Or, or artists, but it was not a respectable, you were a dancer, you were kind of shady. So for an 18-year-old to move to New York on her own at that time was not, wasn't going to happen. She came home, burned all her dance clothes. I, she told me that, and I said, why'd you burn? I had to. And she became an x-ray technician. Did she ever talk to you about, about uh, what that took out of her to not, had that been a dream of hers? She, it must have been in order for her to go I to think, New York in the first place. I think it was squelched so early on oh. that it wasn't a possibility that she moved on and got on with her life. And she met my dad. <laughs> Which is wonderful, but on the other hand, she didn't like look at you at age five and say, okay, I'm going to make myself over in the form of my daughter. No, no. She was so incredibly supportive. Both of my parents were. Uh, they both worked. My mom worked in the morning at a doctor's office as the secretary and in the evenings as the uh, hostess for the Hugo's Lighthouse in Cohasset. 
Really? And my dad worked at Procter & Gamble in Quincy. So my mother would go to work in the morning, pick me up at school with the engine running, <laughs> because class was at 3, and I got out of school at 2.30. And it was before the expressway. Oh. Oh, yeah. So she would drive me in. My dad would get out of work, come in, wait for me, and bring me home. Oh, so when you talk about, when you're talking about in, uh, where did you take your Boston. first lessons? Oh, my first lessons when were, you were, in, little. were in East Milton Square. And they were with a woman that my mother studied with, initially, with Madame Paparello, who also studied with Sidney Leonard, who was the co-founder of Boston Ballet. And um, Virginia Williams was in the process of taking over that school. So, so in those days then it was just, there was no resident Boston company. Were there any there was initially companies? There was initially a Boston Ballet that was formed and I heard about it after I wrote the book, but I never saw anything about it other than somebody saying that there was, there was a Boston Ballet before Boston Ballet but I don't know about it. So that's pretty obscure then. Yeah, it was, it was prior to our founding, and, and then they fell away, I guess, and the name became available. So at what point, and I'm probably jumping ahead, at what point did it become a respectable career to, for a woman or even or a man? Probably during the dance boom. Which was in the 60s In the 60s, and 70s. 50s into the 60s. Um, uh, ballet theater was touring quite a bit, so it was becoming something that was, oh, we enjoy this, we'll go see it. So it gave hope and rise to the founding of companies in other cities. I mean, we're a huge country. To only have ballet based in New York and San Francisco is, and Chicago, maybe, you know. Well, I guess that shows the evolution of, and the popularity it of grew. it. Do you think that um, modern dance entering into things helped that at all? Because not everybody is built to go up on point, I don't think. Certainly. But everybody likes, most people like to move. move. You know, whether they can do it without being completely embarrassed or not, um, like <laughs> me. So do you Never think, say that. Oh, well, I'm always <laughs> embarrassed, but, but sometimes I do it anyway. So um, do you think that helped the fact that kind of modern ballet opened Certainly, up? because it, it created a new audience. And in doing that, and what Virginia Williams did in our initial season was to make sure that there was a classical work, a Balanchine work, a modern work. Oh, my word. Right from the beginning, she wanted to have that overview so that if you went to the ballet and you didn't like the first one, maybe you'd like the second one. Ah. And in that, in that respect, she really was building the audience. So um, how did it go from these little uh, schools that were always probably run by a madam, somebody all over the place, mm -hmm. how did Virginia pull it together? Oh, she was such a Yankee. <laughs> <laughs> she, in, she incorporated every member of every family, um, the dancers to, I mean, I have a photograph of me with uh, an angel headpiece on my head. 
and I'm at the desk because I'm putting jewels in the next angel headpiece. This was the drying rack. Uh. So we would be, when we weren't in rehearsal, we would be working on costumes. So it wasn't just, so she knew it would take that kind of support. It was going to take a village. <laughs> that, that was more than a village, though. That was a whole city. Um, in, the, in part two, I'll be ha Virginia is, or will show you pictures of some of the costumes that Virginia wore, um, among which two or three were actually made by her mother, which is oh. amazing. They, not Virginia, me. Oh, Virginia, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, Virginia never danced professionally. That was another question I had. Do you think she just fell in love with, did you ever talk to her about what, what got her going? Teaching, so she was teaching, she but was she teaching never danced? She was teaching when she was a teenager out of her home, out of her parents' home. And she just, I remember Sydney telling me this, Miss Leonard, uh, she discovered that she really liked telling people what, what to, to do. do. So that's, that's where the old the Yankee really comes in, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and, and they made do with whatever they could. My brother made the first rack of swans that went across the back in Swan Lake, the ground, behind the ground row, because he worked at Boston Whaler Boat Company and he knew how to make molds to make fiberglass swans. Uh, and. Our parents built the studios when we moved from studio to studio. So without your parents' support and the other parents, this, this never would have come oh, about? no. I mean, parents were uh, the marketing director, Elizabeth Dunton, who was Virginia Dunton slash Stewart, who went to New York City Ballet. Ruth Harrington, who was the executive director, was the mother of Sarah Leland, who was a principal dancer with, with uh, New York City Ballet and is, is still staging Balanchine's ballets. So when did you, when you were in training, when you were in your, in your youthful training at Madam's School, did you ever take field trips down to New York? Had you, like, when did you see your first professional ballet? Virginia Williams took me on my first plane ride to New York City to see the premiere of Balanchine's Don Quixote with himself as the Don and Suzanne Farrell as Dulcinea. Uh. It's the most harrowing plane ride I've ever had in my entire life. And it had to be the first one. Uh -huh. And yet you got back on to and the I was, home run. I was holding Virginia's <laughs> hand because she was white as a sheet. But it, that was the first. And how, <coughs> how old were you then about? And did that, did that drive you on? How did you feel seeing that? And how old were you then and what stage? I was stage probably 16, 17. We were already a company at that point. Oh, okay. But my very first ballet was with my mother, Swan Lake, at the old opera house with Nina Novak. And that's all I remember. And I remember asking her for her autograph. And she said, oh, do you have a pen? And I said, oh, no, I don't. And she said, never mind. And she took her lipstick out decimated her lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, I mean, did you see ballerinas as, you knew at, at how hard it was, how hard you worked. You know, you had no idea, you just I had no that. idea what it was going to be, but um, 
But in your classes, you worked very hard, right? Mm -hmm. So you knew that you don't just get up on the stage oh, and no. flit around without massive training, right? Right. So uh, did that discourage you at all, encourage you when you saw the ballerinas that you got to see, Suzanne Farrell, who's like towering? Uh-huh. Yep. All of them. Margot Fontaine. Galina Olanova. I saw her do Giselle when she was close to 60. Oh, my goodness. She looked like a 14-year-old. Oh. It was just transformation. So transformational. Did, you, did you feel like this is something I can do? It didn't intimidate you at all? Well, of course it intimidated me. And there were, there were several occasions where I said, no, I can't do this. I'm not going to make it. I did quit at 13. Yeah, that was an interesting part of the book. Um, and then you got bored. There was a big hole in my life. And your, your parents were smart enough to... They, they just, but whatever you want to do. And I was going to college because at 18, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm still just kind of in the court of ballet. <laughs> so I applied. And I was going to the University of Miami for marine biology. Oh, so that was, that was, was that really an interest of oh, yours yeah. at the time? Yeah. Huh. And uh, uh, I'm still interested, <laughs> especially in the oceans these days. Um, but Virginia made me a principal. So I said, okay, I'll defer. And I deferred, but then I was really dancing. So did that, is that what she did? I'm sure you had earned it, but is that what she did to bring you back? Was that, it was like she a didn't quid know. pro quo, which we're talking a lot know. about these days? She didn't know that I was going to go to college. Oh, really? No. So what did she think when you, when you left? When, when I left for... When you just said, I'm, I'm done with oh, this, when you quit for a while. Oh, she did send me a letter that, you know, that there are a few people who have what you have at this particular point in time. And you could probably do something with it. So, you know, words to that effect. But that's so New Englandy, right? She didn't gush over you. Mm -hmm. It was simply a statement of fact. I think that, is that letter in the book? Because yeah. I think it, it's a beautiful letter, and it, but it's very sparse. And it basically says someone with your talent, someone who, uh, who, can work, who has a body that really works. And a work ethic. Right. Which, and that's the big one. <laughs> and so, you know, it wasn't like we can't live without you. It wasn't no. like uh, your life is going to be ruined if you're not. It was, it, it was very simple, but it was, I can mm -hmm. see how it would have been, it would have like struck you to your core. Oh, and Virginia's my mentor, and if she feels this way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, Virginia was getting the company together, but um, there really wasn't support, much support to begin with in Boston. I think maybe because people thought ballet only happened in New York, and that was it. Mm -hmm. Because if they wanted to see ballet, that's what they did. They went to New York for it. But our first season was one performance in January, one in February, and one in March or April, something like that. So the Nutcracker stuff didn't oh, that kick was in until way later on. Actually, not, that's not true. We did uh, uh, portions of Nutcracker prior to that when we were New England Civic Ballet. Okay, so lead us through uh, the, the progress. So first, uh, was that New England Civic Ballet the first That's an amateur company. Yeah. Okay. 
1963, we received a Ford Foundation grant. Um, at the time, there were, and still going, I believe, uh, regional festivals, Northeast Regional, Southeast Regional, Western, you know, all over. Um, and Balanchine was tasked by the Ford Foundation to search out young companies that might be viable for a grant to become professional. And we were one of five. And um, Balanchine, uh, being, probably being, we talk about Suzanne Farrell, who danced for him and, and for whom he created ballets, but he is the god. He is the Zeus of, of American ballet. You actually worked with him? Very briefly. Uh, he came to oversee um, Scotch Symphony, which I wasn't in at that time. <laughs> <laughs> the ballet of my existence. Um, so I did, I saw him working with the company, but he didn't, never worked with me directly. But his um, influence, not only through um, the Ford Foundation grant, but um, the troupe's ability to put, on, to put on his ballets. Can you talk a little bit he, about that? He very graciously and generously became our artistic advisor. And in that respect, he gave us the rights to dance his, certain of his ballets. And we, I mean, we really cut our teeth on balancing. Concerto Barocco, Serenade, Scotch Symphony, Symphony in C, Four Temperaments, Tarantella, it goes on. So many of his ballets we got to dance. And in doing so, we expanded not only our vistas, because we'd been studying classical, we, exp we expanded the audience vistas because So is they he not considered classical? Neoclassical. Oh, okay. Um, is what I would say. I could be wrong. But he would use movements from Broadway. He would use, like, turned in. He would use a flexed foot. Whereas in a really classical ballet like Sleeping Beauty, Swan Lake, never. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so, okay, so your company is forming. You've done a few performances. Then mm -hmm. the Ford Foundation grant comes in. Does that enable you to find a home, or are you drifting all over? Is the company drifting all over Boston? No, we, we had a wrecking ball following us, but... Um, we were on the Mass Ave Studios at that, at that point, which was a trapezoidal studio with two poles in the center. Oh, I remember the poles. Oh, the poles. <laughs> but consequently, when we got on stage, we were still dancing around those poles. <laughs> we had to restage everything. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I, I lost. So we're, so we're at, at the trapezoid studio, and this is really not adequate in any way for no, it was, rehearsing for like full-length ballets or anything like that. It was limiting, let's say. Um, the Back Bay Theater where we initially performed, actually first, yeah, we were performing at Back Bay. Knocked it down, gone. It was right across the street from the studio. It was perfect. We, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, 
when we finally outgrew that space on Mass Ave with the trapezoidal studio in one small studio, um, we moved to Washington Street. In the combat zone at the time? It was directly in the combat zone on the corner of Avery Street and Washington Street. Pussycat Lounge was across the street. <laughs> uh, the Avery Hotel was right on the corner. And um, it was remarkable. It was a remarkable experience. And that's where my father, Linda DeBona's father, several others, <laughs> built the studios in the space. They did the construction. Because Linda's father was, was that's what he did. He also built the uh, first Apollo set for the for the ball the Balanchine Ballet Apollo, and it was a huge wooden cage with stairs leading up. Well, he built it to cold code, oh. and the stagehands were cussing him out because it must have been heavy as oh. all hell, right? I could, could barely move it, but um, but that's how that's how things happened. You know, we didn't have the resources to hire people in to do these things. So what, I mean, so the Ford Foundation grant must have, it was... $144,000. So like, what, I guess back in the in day, that was, a lot, that was a lot more it was money. A good, it was good seed money. But our first season, they paid, they, they had to, we had to sign contracts with AGMA. And um, it was on a per-performance basis. And then once that was done, then there was no money coming in. We weren't paid for anything except for the performance weeks, one in January, one in February, one in March. We rehearsed. So uh, were, were, were all the dancers living at home? Because how else could mm -hmm. you survive? At home or, or like four to a roommate situation. Um, outside jobs. I worked at Recording and Statistical and down in Post Office Square filling envelopes for an insurance company. So um, it was, it was uh, well, I guess that was probably the equivalent of what waitressing is now for actors, right? Mm -hmm. and a waiter and Whatever you can do, you know. I worked at Kennedy's Men's Store, so I got to fold suits. I know how to fold suits. <laughs> <laughs> did, so it, at what point did you think, if ever, that this was going to be a full-time paying career? And what did it take? for you to be assured that you were going to be able to make this your career? Keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Because the, at 18, I made the commitment. I'm not going to college. I'm going to do this. And I'm getting paid, but not very much. But this is really what I want. Um, when I was first married to my first husband in 1970, we moved to New York. I was too old for Joffrey Ballet. I was 23 already, and I'd been a principal dancer. He did not want somebody who already had a persona. He wanted the clay. Oh. He, was, he was hiring very young dancers, 17, 18. He hired Tony, my husband, because he needed someone who could do, in the, could do the Russian prashatskas, which is the deep knee bends, kicking the legs out, oh, 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 oh. for Petrushka. And they knew he could do it. So he had a, a, a part-time job. Per, per performance contract, which meant he had to go drive a taxi cab. And so I couldn't get a job. Could you so not, why could you not get a job at either New York City Ballet or American Ballet Theater? You're too small. I'm too small. I was not of, of the body type. 
I had already been uh, to ballet theater and been scared away from it in 1968, something like that. Scared away how? Um, just the enormity of it, I think. Um, and one of the teachers there was a real son of a gun. Is who I later found out, I will not name, who I later found out when I went to Joffrey in 1970 and studied with the Joffrey and, you know, Tony was there so I could do class. Uh, he was teaching class one day and he was ranting and raving because he'd moved over to Joffrey. He was ranting and raving and he walked by me and he says, got him going, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I realized that I'd been scared away by bluster. Uh, so do, when you were in New York, it, did you regret leaving? Did you miss being in Boston? How did, how did you Desperately. feel about everything? Desperately. I didn't like living in New York. Uh, I'm not a New York kind of girl. Um, I'm a Yankee. Born in Boston. Um, it was a challenge. And I, I was so happy to run into Nikki Emanuel, who was one of Virginia's students, who was one of the big girls when I was growing up in the school. Uh, she was the dance captain for the Metropolitan Opera Ballet, and I happened to run into her. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, nothing. I'm, she says, we're having an audition. You should come. I, I was out of class for six months. I had given up. So you, and you, so you didn't even take class. I mean, for a, a oh, dancer, that's like, whoa. I did for six months. And then it was like, I'm not getting anywhere at Joffrey. I, I'm not. So I said, I may as well do other things. And I, I mean, Macy's ma demonstrating the bow maker machine. But wasn't that hard with your husband Tony dancing and you? But he not? wasn't. He wasn't dancing consistently. Oh, so it was frustrating eventually, for both of you, I guess. Yeah, and eventually he did get a full contract, and so I did. I was still actively observing. I was always at the performances, but it seemed useless to take class. So how how frustrating and sad was that? I mean, you. Rose above it, you were oh, it happy was, in your it marriage. It was really at the frustrating time. and sad taking that audition. <laughs> I was, I was in pain, and I didn't initially get the job. There were there were two places. There were three of us. I was the third one. One of the girls didn't take the contract, so I got it, and it was a very lucrative contract. But we didn't dance much. Yeah, opera ballet, the concept seems, can you, and we're, we're going to be wrapping up, amazingly enough, uh, part one very quickly, but um, what operas have ballets with them, or how does... Parsifal, Ipuritani, uh, uh, Meistersinger, Aida, Faust. So are you in the background? Um, in most cases. Um, in Aida, we certainly had, uh, not Aida and Faust, there's a big ballet, big ballet section. Um, but in Forza del Destino, we're, we did Carmen with Alvin Ailey. Oh, and, wow. And the choreography was spectacular. We were so excited. And then we did dress rehearsal. And we got the costumes on. They were 20 pounds a piece. Double pirouettes were like throughout the piece. 
in order to do a double pirouette, you had to take the skirt, throw it, do the turn, <laughs> grab the skirt to stop. So why, and I was curious about that, why were their costumes so out of whack with what you were doing in regular ballet? <clears throat> you know, opera costumes are uh, true to period. If it oh. calls for brocade, it is brocade. Okay. And it's brocade underneath where nobody sees it. Ah. But a dancer is going to have tool or something to make it stick out that's lighter weight so that you can actually move in it. Um, but certainly some of, those, some of those costumes had to have that weight to them, you know, the long gowns to the floor. But, um, well, I can see the divas with them, but it certainly doesn't make sense to have the dancers. All right, well, we're going to uh, wrap up this part one of um, Book Stew with author and dancer Lori Young. Um, you'll be joining us next month for part two. I know you're just going to be sitting by your TV and waiting and listening on your podcast and waiting. So uh, Book Stew viewers, thanks. Stand by. And Laura, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you.